If, you will, if you're with us this morning, if you've been with us for a while, you know we're going through the book of Titus. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you got your Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to the book of Titus. It's in the New Testament. Um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, it'll be on the screen for you in a second. And uh, I, know, I want you to know something. You have braved the winter apocalypse to come to church, okay, which is pretty amazing. Um, you, you braved the ice storm or whatever this is. You made it. There are some who couldn't make it, who, are, who really had the ice in their places. So we're glad that you're here to worship today. And, you know, when it snows, like if you're living up north and it snows, it's like a part of life. And when it snows in the southern states, it's like life halts. Like I had a guy to go buy seven gallons of milk. And I don't know why it's always milk and bread. That's always been funny to me. And uh, there's been many jokes about that. Like, I, you know, you can make French toast, I guess, you know, if you have some eggs too. That, <laughs> I just need milk and bread. Let's do this thing. We're, we're glad that you're here today. And we have the task in front of us of walking through a portion of Scripture. I want you to know this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. And we're going to get to this next section in which this is not one of those sermons that's going to be like... And this is probably not a good way to, 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 to you know, in, intro a sermon, but this is going to be for your knowledge now, and it'll pay dividends later. It might not be one you're going to walk out of here going, oh, today we learned about the leadership of the church and eldership. Woo! I'm pumped up. Let's tell people about Jesus, okay? That may not be how you leave today, but every time you spend in God's word, he shapes and molds us, and you will leave with this today, an understanding of the way God has at least intended for the church to function and for the people of God to be trained to accomplish the mission of God and to have sound doctrine, which means is to understand fully what the Bible teaches, at least as, as much as a human mind can understand, and to follow it out. And he has a plan for that. So if you would, Titus chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we'll begin. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 9. So Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, he promised before the ages began. And at the proper time, he manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus. So the, the author and the recipients are noted. Paul is the author. He's an apostle, a sent one of Jesus Christ. He witnessed Jesus saving him on the road to Damascus. He appeared to him after his resurrection. Titus is the guy who's been written to. He is, a, and this is what he says in verse 4, Titus, my ch- true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. We talked about that last week. Here's our text for this week, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, we talked about this letter is written by Paul to 
his true child in the face, Timothy. Timothy is a guy that Paul probably could have won to the Lord, and he is mentoring Timothy to learn how to be a pastor. Now, we got to reconstruct some of the timeline. At the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in prison in Rome, okay? And he is, he, we don't know what happens after that, but as church history kind of tells us, it's likely that he got released from his first Roman imprisonment, and he went back doing ministry, and that ministry included Titus, and they made it to the little isle in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. We talked about it last week. The word Cretan, which is not usually a good thing, if you've been called a Cretan, that's usually a bad thing, okay? If you took it as a good thing, well, good, good for you. You're a Cretan, thanks, okay? That is usually a derogatory term, and it actually gets its name from the people on this island. Crete was known to be a debauched place full of rough stuff, okay? So it, it, was a tough, it was a tough place, but what happened is God had used Paul and Titus to spread the gospel in Crete in between Paul's imprisonments, and they started some, they, they won some people to Jesus, and some churches started. Paul had to go on and continue his missionary work, but he left Titus there on Crete in the middle of the Mediterranean, which is not a bad place to be stuck, okay? You could be in a lot worse places than in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, okay? So that's where, he, that, that's where Titus is left, and here is what Titus's charge is if you look in verse 5. It says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that the purpose you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what Paul, why, the reason Paul left Titus was to put everything in order in the churches that have been started in these different cities in Crete. Part of putting everything in order was appointing elders. First off, if you think about this, there's all these little churches, these little local churches, and all these little towns in Crete. Titus's job is to help put those things in order. Now, church order is different than corporate order, okay? Corporate order, you have a flow chart, you have a, a, a leadership responsibilities, but you know what the church, the church is supposed to have order in it, and we have some, but the church is also made up of a diverse group of people who've been saved from a diverse group of backgrounds who have come with very little in common except for Jesus in most cases. And sometimes the order looks like herded cats or like a kindergarten class. <laughs> okay. Like if you go to the elementary school right now, and God bless you if you work in elementary. I'm a partial because my wife's an elementary teacher. I love you guys. You are blessed people. If I had to do that every day, I would become depressed, okay, if I had to wake up every day and be an a elementary school teacher. I'm just going to be honest with you. God bless you that you do that. That sounds like terrible, terrible pain to me. But I love you that you love to do that, okay? And so you, and you put your heart and soul into it. But if you think about it, kindergartners... <laughs> We'll get in order. You can set the rules, and they'll abide by them for the most part. But you always got that one kid who's eating the glue. You got the one kid that's in the line, but he's also like, you know, that, uh, was that Celtic women. He's doing the Celtic women dance, okay? Or they're, they're, like, they're tapping each other. Or you ask them a question, they're like, I don't know. I was staring at the spot in the ceiling. And so there's order, but there's chaos, Right? Nobody's dying. There's not a fire, but there's chaos. And I want you to know what, what the, 
the, the charge that Paul has given to Titus is not like, get your church in order. Everybody looks the same. Everybody wears the same stuff. Everybody has the same this. Everybody has the same that. That is not order in the New Testament church. Just read the Bible. All of them had some wild stuff going on. But order has to do with sound teaching and some form of leadership dynamic. And here's what he says here. In the church, I left you in Crete to set these church up, to put what remained in order. I know it's going to be, you almost said in parentheses, I know it's going to be like, like, a, like working with a kindergarten class, okay? But here's how you do that. By appointing elders in every town as I direct you. Part of putting things in order is to appoint elders in every town. Now, some of you, when I say elders, you immediately think of Mormons, because you might have some Mormons that have rolled up on you before. And if you have ever, like, if you have some Mormons that come to your door, oh, just FYI, Mormon, Mormonism is not Christianity. Let's just be clear. They believe very differently. But they use the same language. Big whoop. They define their terms differently, okay? It's, it's not the same thing. They don't believe Jesus is God. Not in the way we believe Jesus is God. They believe Jesus was a man who became God. We believe Jesus has always been God. He's always existed. He's co-eternal with the Father. They don't believe like we do. They believe that you can become a God like Jesus became a God. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible teaches. We teach that Jesus is God, and he became flesh, died for us, that we might become sons of God, not God. Not a God. It's a very different religion. But you might think if you had ever had an objection, every time I've had somebody come to my door who's a Mormon, I've been nice to them. Jehovah's Witness, different story. But, but Mormons, when they come to my door... Usually what happens is, can we bring back an elder? Which means I'm bringing back the big guns to talk to you because we didn't know whose door we knocked on. And I said, absolutely, bring them over, okay? And that usually doesn't go well either, okay? It's nice, but it doesn't go well, okay? So, but when you think of elders, that may be what you thought of. And then if you think of elders, the word, you think of like old guys, okay? And then you note something. If you've been around here before, you know that Tom and myself are elders. Now, we're in our 30s. To some of you, some of you teenagers who we work with, I know, I'm ancient, okay? 35, you're almost dead, okay? And who knows, okay? Maybe that's true. All right. But compared to, to the grand scheme of life, 35 is not that old. Tom, I think he's 38. I don't think he'll mind me telling his age. This is not like if I was telling our wives' age, that would be a whole different story, and we might like sleep on the couch for a while. But I'm one of the elders here, and Tom is one of the elders here, and we're not old, relatively speaking. And if you look out, I mean, we got some gray. We got some, you know, I got some hair loss. Tom doesn't. God bless him. And so we got, and, you know, we're not old. So when you think of this word, but this word actually comes from the word presbyteros, which we get the word Presbyterian from. And this has the idea of a someone who, especially in the synagogues of this time, which were the Jewish worship houses, they were led by a group of men called elders. You don't necessarily have to be older to be an elder, but you have to be mature to be an elder. And so what he does here is part of putting the church in order is to have some type of leadership structure. Yes, the church is the diverse, wild thing. It's organized chaos. But there is some way that God has given us to govern. It's not a strict laid down governance, but there is this, there's this office called elder. Now, this office is synonymous with a couple of other things. Because you're about to say, okay, I thought you were the pastor. Yes, 
they're one and the same. Let me show you something. I have a diagram for you. I know you're excited about that. I'm excited about it. Who doesn't love a Venn diagram? But if you, listen, I'm telling you, get your phones out, okay, if you would. All right, take a picture of this. This is important because I want to show you something. For the office of this leader in the church, one who is supposed to govern the church and to, and to teach sound doctrine, and that's what the job here, we're going to just look at the qualifications and what they're supposed to do in the church. There are synonymous terms in the scriptures, and this will help you understand how the terms are used. And now we don't have time to get into this, okay? Because if we did that, there'd be somebody falling out in the back row like going, this was really boring, okay? But if you go home and you read this, I guarantee you, you'll ble- it'll bless you and you'll understand what we're talking about a little bit more clearly. Elders are equal. This term is synonymous with pastor-shepherd, which most of you have been in a church, you've had a pastor, okay? Pastor, shepherd, and, and you can look up this, and this is in First Peter 5. You can look there. You see how the, anyway, you know how the Venn diagram works. You'll figure it out. It jazzes me. So that is the, it's used synonymously with elder. And then also in this same passage, which we just read, the word overseer or bishop, episcopos, okay, which they get the word episcopal from, that is another name for an elder. Okay? You're walking with me? Now, if you really want to know how, how synonymous these terms are, and the, the one that c- connects them all together, Acts 20, 17 through 28, the leaders in the church are called all three of those names in that section. So if you turn on the lights, and you can leave this up there. And so here's, the, uh, here's what I want you to get. God, in order to put things in order, Paul sent Titus to appoint from the local congregations men who met the qualifications that we just read and we're going to discuss in a second to lead the church by teaching good doctrine and rebuking those who did not, to pastor the people, to move the people, to oversee the house of God. Those people can be called elder, pastor, bishop. Now, I want you to also note this. Every time, or almost every time, the Bible uses the word elder or pastor or bishop. It's in the plural. Okay? Anytime. What do you mean? Plural. Like more than one. If I'm saying that Amy and I are going to the store, I wouldn't say I'm going to the store. What would I say? We're going to the store. That is a plural. So when you see elders, he is supposed to, Titus is supposed to go around and appoint elders, more than one, in all the churches. Now, you might have been a part of a church, and listen, this is not to throw stones or whatever at anybody, but you might have been a part of a church that had, a, had one pastor, and a lot of churches, and many churches are run kind of like a CEO. There's one guy who's the boss, and then there's all these other ones that kind of the, the, the leadership chart goes from, top down that way. Well, the scriptures have it another way, at least by my understanding of scripture and what I've seen, is that the the leadership of the church should be a plurality, should be more than one. Now, the way we have it set up at our church is that we used to have three elders who met the qualifications and were, who were um, recognized by the church and the congregation here as good men and had been appointed to eldership. One was Kevin, who's now, he has moved on to North Carolina. 
one was uh, is is Tom, and one is me, one is myself. Now, what we've done is they've also designated me as the, as pastor too. Okay, the names are synonymous, but what we're saying is I am kind of the lead elder, the lead pastor, and but we all have an equal say. And if we ever get to a tie, they're going to go with what I say. They're calling me first among equals. That's the way we have it structured here. Okay. The reason, there's many reasons for this, and we could get into that, but I just want you to acknowledge that, the, or see here, that it says there, appoint elders in every town. So every town, every church is supposed to have multiple leaders. I want you to see this too. All of the elders here are male. That, that does not mean that women could not do it. Women very well could, by, by talent and ability, do this position. However, the scriptures are clear that this is a position that is supposed to be for men to lead out in. It's not a knock against you ladies. It's just the way God set things up. There's a, and that doesn't mean that there can't be ladies like Beth Moore or Priscilla Shire who go out and preach, and they're, but they're not elders, leaders, pastor positions in a church. That is reserved for men, for men. And also, it's not necessarily you go out and find a pastor, a lot or elders, a lot of times, especially in this case, Tim, what, what Titus is, or Paul's telling Titus to do is to, in every town, or it says to appoint elders in every town. So these people would be living in the town, part of the church, and Paul, or through Titus, Titus would recognize God's call in their life and their qualifications, and he would call these guys from that church to be elders and to help lead the church. So I know you guys, when you got me to be your pastor, you found me and I was in Georgia. And you know I'm a Floridian, and I know that pains many of you, okay? Because you know what school I attended and what school I root for, and you know I'm going to gator chomp from time to time, and I just can't help it. And you love me anyway. And, they, and, I, and I know you searched around, and you had a bunch of pastors come through, and you interviewed them, and you brought them. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's also something to be said, and there's a New Testament principle of finding and developing quality elders from inside the congregation, men who meet these qualifications and who join a team that help govern, lead, and teach a church towards fulfilling the Great Commission and being a a kingdom-minded place. That is what Paul is calling Titus to do. If you don't believe me, go check these verses out because these are qualifications. Now, this, that's the office. That's what the office is. That is what, that's how God has decided to lead his ragtag group of people, his church and local churches through a plurality of elders leading, governing, teaching, all accountable to the local church for our character. And here's what happens. Paul gives the qualifications of these elders. I want you to go back. Look in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. When Paul writes to them, the church, he says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So Paul has been given this apostleship for the faith of those who've been chosen by God, the people of God. And it says this, and that their knowledge, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Here's the deal. The number one chief job of an elder is to teach the Bible to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you teach it, your life must resemble it. Otherwise, you can disqualify yourself and you could bring reproach on the message. So doctrine 
And that's what our name of our series is, Doctrine Makes a Difference. If you believe right, you must act in accordance with that belief. And so that's what's happening here. These elders who teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, who teach the scriptures, their life must accord with that. So Paul gives some qualifications. Those qualifications can be broken down into a few little little parts. The first qualification we see here is the overarching one of being above reproach. Now, look in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach. So where did you get that from, Matt, that the first qualification of an elder is that they have to be above reproach? I got it from verse 6, because that's what it says. If anyone is above reproach. So this is not rocket science, okay? This is just Bible, okay? And so we got reproach is this. Anybody whose character is of a, a caliber that they can't, a charge can't be brought against them, that's a real charge. Now, I know this is a weird thing that I'm doing today, okay? I'm talking about the qualifications I'm supposed to have, knowing that I fall short of these qualifications. But here's the good thing. I'm not called to perfection, I'm called to persistence, number one. Number two on that is all of these qualifications apply, all of these things apply, are written about that every believer is supposed to have them too, except for one, which is being able to teach, which is uniquely a qualification for an elder. Thirdly, it's not about if I've messed up before. It's about can you look at my life and look at Tom's life and say, by and large, they have those characteristics. You know what I'm saying? Not that we don't ever screw up. If you want to know where I screw up, come talk to this lady. Please be nice to me, okay? If you, <laughs> you can you talk to Tom. You can talk to a lot of people, okay? And I mess up. Sometimes I say the wrong things. Sometimes I do the wrong things. But I think if they look at people around me that know me and really know me can look and say, I know you're jacked up, man. I know you still got issues. I know you're ha- hanging on to the grace of Jesus, but I see the trajectory of your life saying, hey, I, these things are mostly true. That's what we're talking about here. It's not perfection. So when you look at your elders, you want to hold them to these qualifications, but you also want to judge with the same amount of judgment that you be, want yourself to be judged with. Does that make sense? And you want to look at the long long way. So above reproach means that this is a person that you look at and you, you know how when somebody, when so, you mention somebody's name and sometimes you roll your eyes? You know what I'm talking about? No, you've never done it. It might be me and uh, well, pr- let's pray for me later, okay? But you, uh, it's like, hey, guess who, you know, Samantha's coming and everybody's like, oh, okay. You getting ready for it? That is the idea of above reproach that somebody, when you hear about them coming, you're not like, oh gosh. Right? That you don't, you can't really bring a charge against them. I mean, th- there's issues, but like I can't give a charge. That is the overarching thing. And then they're supposed to be qualified in their family life. Look with me in verse six. If anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now I'm going to let you know something. We're going to get real controversial. Just FYI, okay? And here's where the controversy comes in, okay? Uh, And we got in verse 6, he says, if anyone is above reproach, that's the overarching quality, and above reproach in his family life, and it says the husband of one wife. Now, this is not requiring necessarily that a elder has to be married, number one, okay? That's not the requirement. But if they are married and they have children, this is how they are supposed to behave themselves in accord with godliness. The first one is, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. 
there are two major ways to understand this passage. The first one is this. The only qualified candidate for an elder is someone who has only been married one time. That would preclude someone who has been divorced. There is another interpretation of the Scripture, and the one which I I hold, and I think it's a better use of the original language, which says that this could actually be translated a one-woman man, a person who's singularly devoted to his wife. That, That means that a divorce could have happened previously, even before he became a Christian, or in a time of, you know, issues or whatever, or he was deserted, he could still be an elder pending an investigation into his life and making sure that all the stuff that went into that divorce was above reproach and there could be something that was not, you know what I mean? If there was abuse or something like that, that might be a different story. But I take it as a one-woman man situation. I think that's good. And here's one of the main reasons why. It has to be translated one-woman man. And if it's translated one-woman man and it means a, a person who's divorced can't be an elder, that also means somebody who had a wife who passed away and then he remarried would not be qualified for an eldership. And the Bible gives no reason that that would be the case because death, even our vows, till death do us part. That is, one of, that is one of many reasons why I think that, it, what, that a divorced person could be an elder pending a discussion about it. Now, that's kind of controversial, but I want you to know something. I think it fits in with grace because you can change. Not yourself. Self-help is ridiculous, and it only, will, it'll only masks the real problems. Gospel change, knowing Jesus being transformed, having your mind transformed to the gospel and having your will and your life transformed through the Holy Spirit can make huge changes. And you, cannot, you can look back in several years. You might not see it like day to day. <laughs> you might still, I still struggle with that. I still struggle with that. But if you look back five or ten years after following the Lord and you say, oh, I'm no longer that person anymore. That's the work of the Spirit. And so keeping with the, the spirit of grace, I think that fits right there. There could be a man who had divorce in his background, had many things in his background, but he met Jesus, or he was not walking with Jesus like he should. And then, man, he starts following Jesus, and God radically transforms his life. And what? He'd become an elder candidate because now he is fitting the one-woman-man thing, and God has wrought a huge difference. And I think that's what the text teaches. It's awesome news. And so we see that. So elders in the church have to be qualified. And it says, talk about the, the marital situation if they're married. And the second thing is this. And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, you cannot make your child a believer. You know that. We already just read that salvation comes to God's elect. And we also know that we're, we're called, human responsibility says we are to repent and believe, but salvation belongs to the Lord and he gives it to whom he will. So we can't necessarily know, and I wish I could know and make my son a believer. That is the greatest prayer of my life. Sometimes when I wake up at night, I walk over in his room. He doesn't even know this. And he, every time, if he ever sees it, he's like, dad, you're creepy because I walk in his room and I watch him breathing, not in a weird way, but I, I know that sounds weird, but I just pray over him. Like, God, I, what I want for him the most is not him to be great at sports or to be wealthy. I just want him to know you. And if that's what, whatever it takes, God, let him know you. That's my desire. But Listen, uh, an elder should at the foremost keep his child's spiritual life at the top of his priority list, and so should you. We've got deranged with our sports and activities. 
We have. They're out of, out of whack. We have to fight. I know. I'm learning the fight now. What's the most important thing? For an elder, definitely spiritual life has to be at the top. It's one of our qualifications. It should be like that in every Christian household. Go to war for your kids and their spiritual life. And that's what elders are supposed to do. And it says this, and it says as a qualification, they're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So if you are, and then it goes on, it says an overseer as God's steward. So an elder and overseer are connected here and synonymous here. An overseer is somebody who manages as a steward as, as, as God's household. So if you manage God's household, if you're going to be in charge with that, you should manage your own household well, which means his kids can't be starting fires and living crazy sinful lives okay that's i know that's kind of a big deal on an elder but that's what we're called to is to to train and teach our kids so my and this is even hard on judson but god gives grace my job is to train him in a way that if if i can't keep my household in order with discipline and other things like that how can i keep god's household in order and so that is what the call is to, is to, to do that. <laughs> I want you to know something. That's tough to keep your kids from being insubordinate and debauched, okay? It's really difficult. There's stuff bombarding it from every way, but if we prioritize their spiritual life, that would be the ultimate goal here. And that's what we are supposed to steward something that God has. So in, in their uh, elder is supposed to be above reproach in their family life, in their marriage, and in their life with their kids. Also, an elder in the church must, um, they, must have their, um, they must have their character in order. Look with me in verse 7. And we're going to go through these pretty quick. As an overseer, as God's steward, one who is in control of God's house. And just by the way, I know I've said this before, but this is not my church and this is not your church. This is not Tom's church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have a claim on it because I'm the pastor. I am a steward of God's resources and people. That's what Tom and I, that's how we view this, and we work to view it every day. And we need God's grace and help to maintain that. As an overseer, our job is to fan into flame what God is doing and to use it correctly. And then it says this, and here's the qualifications when it comes to our character as an elder, and there's several of them. There are five don'ts and six do's, and I like the fact that there's more do's than don'ts. Don't you like that? Because the don'ts get real, <laughs> but then there's the do's, and you're like, yes, awesome. And I want you to walk through those real quick, and I'll give you a brief explanation of the character that an elder is supposed to have. You can also go back in the book of First Timothy and in First uh, Peter chapter 5, and there's more qualifications of elders in case you want to just dive in a little bit deeper. Also refer to my awesome diagram. You're welcome. I didn't make that, but I found it, and it's awesome. Go look at your diagrams. Diagrams are amazing. So we get down to verse 7, and it says this. Again, it says, a God steward must be above reproach. So again, that's the overarching quality. And then it says this, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, not to think he knows it all, or to get mad with people. Not a drunkard, which means not that you have to abstain from alcohol to be an elder, but that you can't be a drunk person and you must keep in mind your witness when it comes to alcohol. We do live in a culture that has gone alcohol mad and binge drinking is a real problem. And so you don't want your spiritual leaders being a binge drinker or getting people to binge drink by a bad testimony, okay? Now, that does not mean alcohol is wrong at all, 
But drunkenness is a sin. Let's be reminded of that. It's not a funny, sin is not a funny thing if it happens at a party, okay? We need to maintain, because what what does the Bible say for all believers is don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's hard to be filled with the Spirit if you're drunk with wine or whatever. And so an elder should not be a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Are you in this for the, are you in the ministry for the money? Which, by the way, there's only like 1% of pastors that do that, okay? And they usually get fined out, and for some reason, they're on the news all the time. Most of the guys I know have never had any issue with <laughs> doing it for gain, okay? They're, they're being pastors and like, I think we can pay the bills, okay? I, mean, that, I think that's what most of them are. But those are some qualities that you, that you should look for. Also, those are the don'ts, but here's the do's of the characteristics of an elder. They should be hospitable, which means welcoming, opening up their house to believers and to non-believers alike for the sake of the gospel. You realize this, by the way, because remember, all these characteristics can be applied to Christians and and you're called to do these things. You opening your door to your house or having lunch with somebody after church that you don't know can be one of your greatest gospel ministries. What I love here. What I saw when I was in seminary, what Amy and I got to participate in, is when somebody new would come to our, we, our the church I was a part of, when they would come to our, our small group, we would immediately, even if we knew they were very different than us, we would say, you want to go to lunch after? I'll tell you, we made so many friends, and were able to get people plugged into church so quick, just a lunch after church. And it's going to involve you putting yourself out there a little bit. But that is one of the things that I am called as a Hallmark, Amy and I are called as a Hallmark to do, is to be hospitable. Not only that, is a lover of good. So elders should want good to happen in your life. You want the gospel to go forward. He wants good things to happen, to be self-controlled. Um, that is self-explanatory, that we have to sometimes bite our tongue when we're angry and do the right thing as opposed to the wrong thing, to fight for our physical health, to fight to stay in the word, to fight to be disciplined in prayer. Also, you be upright, which means that this person is, is seeking to be righteous in the community. Also, holy, same thing, trying to reflect the character of God and to be disciplined, and that is related to self-control. Finally, those are the characteristics. Now, here is the one he ends with hard. Have you ever noticed this when you list things? If you're going to prioritize them, and you want to emphasize them, you either put them first, or you put them last, or you repeat them, right? Well, Paul talks about sound doctrine, talk about teaching which accords with godliness, and then at the end of this list, he emphasizes the real call and purpose of an elder, and it's in verse 9. I want to conclude with that. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. The number one purpose of an elder and one of the major qualifications of this person, are they convinced about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Bible being God's word? Do they hold firm to it? You know, it's really easy to get a crowd. You realize that, right? If we decided that we wanted a crowd for Easter, you know what we could do? We could give out $100 gift card, Visa gift cards to every person who came the first time. We're not going to do that, but we could. Just These are all hypotheticals. We could say if we reach 300 people to show up, that 
I was going to say shave my head, but that wouldn't do too much, okay? Um, we're going to dump the pastor in a dunking booth full of eels, okay? I mean, like, oh, man, I'd like to see that. Or the pastor's going to jump the church on a, on a flaming motorcycle all of evil can evil. And people show up for that. Also, if you tell people lies about their prosperity and that Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, then people will line up. If Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you don't need to read the New Testament because all of the apostles ended up murdered for their faith. Then those guys are really out of the will of God if you're going to follow that thing. You can get a crowd by just being positive. But a pastor, elder, bishop, overseer of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should be committed to the word of God. Preach the whole counsel of God in season and out of season. The weird parts, the parts that are not sexy like today's sermon, it's what we got to do. And that is the number one qualification. And here's the way you can tell. If you leave a sermon, mine or anyone else's, and you cannot tell that I got the major and minor points from the Scripture, and I did it in context, then you need to be concerned about that. Because people can manipulate the Bible to say what they want it to say. And if I can't prove to you that what I'm saying is true by sound reason from the Scripture, and you can't say, hey, this is where he got it, then something is wrong. Because I believe this. I have no power in and of myself. I have no power because of my position. I have no power because I'm a pastor. I went to a lunch one time at O'Charlie's in, in, uh, in Macon. No, it was in Panama City, and the guy found out I was a pastor. And for some reason, I guess in his church tradition, they, trot, they, they thought pastors like walked on water. My, I take one sip out of my drink, he filled it. I ate one bite of bread. Like, you want some more bread? I was like, no, man. I'm trying to be self-controlled. I don't want to get like this, okay? So I don't know more bread, okay? Carbs, no, okay? But he was coming, and he was like, pastor, pastor. And he would call me by pastor, say, sir to me, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to be like, that is so cool. But only the only reason that I would have any authority ever is because of the Word of God, not who I am. The word of God. And my qualifications begin and end that if I, if I am committed and stand firm to the trustworthiness of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is contained therein. That is what you look for in a pastor. And then they must be able, as we finish up here, to give instruction and sound doctrine, which means healthy teaching. Healthy teaching, standing firm to the word, just happens. So healthy teaching is this, that which accord with the Scriptures and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And so when you come to church, you are to be instructed and preached to about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you might be a person who believes the gospel and acts accordingly. Not acts accordingly and then believes the gospel. Believe the gospel, and then your life changes and you act accordingly. And then, this is the other part, and this is what makes my job and Tom's job and anybody else who might become an elder in the next little bit or year or two years in our church. This is what makes it difficult. We are to rebuke those who contradict it, which is talking about the truth, the scriptures. And that ain't easy. Gentlemen, if you're like me, you don't like to be told directions. 
because you think you know where you're going. And I know I saw wives, eyes, darting. I saw it. Thinking about it right now. You know where you're going? Sure, I do. Do we know where we're going? We think we do. <laughs> most of the time we, maybe we, most of the time we do. We go. When you're lost, and someone tells you about it, gentlemen, how do you respond to that? I don't respond well. I don't know about you. I need God's grace, okay? I don't really respond well to that. That's a rebuke. That'd be gentle, but it's telling you you are wrong. Gentlemen, don't be dumb and tell your wife she's wrong unless you know you're right, okay? <laughs> but sometimes it's got to happen, and it ain't easy. Part of my job, Tom's job, and anyone who is an elder at a gospel church's job is to rebuke people in love in a way not to lord it over them, but in a way to receive them back, but re- refute false teachings. And sometimes you've got to say the hard thing in the right way, in love, no matter what the consequence is, do the right thing. Because we stand. Our faith is not based on our opinions or our popularity. Our faith is based on the written word of God. And my job and Tom's job and any elder at any gospel church's job is to teach you, the, to stand firm on the word, to teach all the people of God how to follow God, knowing the gospel and his word, teaching that which is sound and relates to, that's what is healthy teachings, which is related to the scriptures and the gospel, and to rebuke anyone who contradicts it in a dangerous way. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing, but that's what we're called to, because I want you to know something. It's really easy to be deceived by false teaching, especially if you don't know the word of God. So the call is to be thankful for your elders, to pray for your elders, because, man, we got this weight on us, and we have a higher judgment that we're going to be held accountable to on the last day. And thirdly is this. (laughs) Do us a solid. Read your Bible with us. Because we're responsible for sound teaching, and we're responsible for rebuking and correcting, and we're responsible for those things. And if we are committed to the truth together, it makes life so much easier. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to do communion. Father, you're good. Um, We're thankful for the weather, even though it's cold, and we're thankful for your providence. You knew before the world began that we would be here on this Sunday, and we would be in this passage, and that you would use it for our edification, our building up in faith, God. I pray for my dear brothers and sisters in this congregation and those who are here as our guests. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that if there's one who does not know you today here, that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus and your finished work. I also pray this morning, Lord, if there's anyone in here that needed to be that needed these words, that they would fall on their heart. And for those who, who today, this is just a knowledge message, would you, would you help it be hidden in their heart that they might that you might bring it to mind in another day for their own for their life and their walk in godliness. We pray for this church, God. I pray for Tom and myself. God, when as I look at these qualifications, I know that I fall short and and I need your grace at every moment. I know the same for Tom. But Lord, we are striving and we're doing everything our can that everything we can by the Spirit to be qualified men who teach the word correctly. Help us to do that. Give us faith. Protect us. Help us to do that because we want to love your congregation and lead them towards Jesus. Lord, 
today as we come to the table. We pray we would approach it with the reverence and awe and wonder and worship that is due. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. To dismiss us in these words. This is Paul's benediction to Titus. To, my, to God's true children in a common faith, may the grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior be with all of you. You are dismissed. God bless you. Go in his grace.